Father in heaven, we come before thy throne of grace. We have nowhere to go, Lord, but to thee, as Peter said. Where can we go when thou hast the words of eternal life? And what a a wonderful time to, to have that together on this day of rest where we could not only <clears throat> rest our bodies physically but also rest in you, in your word, in your comfort, in your strength and in the hope that you give us in your word. Be with us, uh, disarm the, the preacher, may your Holy Spirit be the teacher and open the hearts as we have heard in, in weeks past of the good ground that needs to be uh, prepared for this sower to sow the seed. We ask these things and give you thanks in Jesus' precious name. Amen. <clears throat> so with the Lord's help, I'd like to continue with the beautiful attitudes. The Beatitudes found in the book of Matthew, chapter 5. And... <clears throat> As usual, I'd like to read through the first few until we get to the eighth, to the sixth one, which is uh, the one we'll be addressing, looking at today. So, Book of Matthew, Gospel of Matthew, chapter five, starting to read at verse one. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, he, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And blessed are the pure in heart. For they shall see God. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Let's bow down and worship the Lord together. O thou great and holy God, thou alone art pure without any mixture without any splemish. And Lord, we come into your presence conscious that we are unworthy if it were not for the blood of your Son shed in love on our behalf. We would be condemned by our own failures to continue to wallow in impurity with self-loathing and disgust. For Lord, we know, we know inside of us what is right and what is wrong. You've breathed your very spirit in us. We're conscious of how we fall short. The light that has entered into the world is shone within us and exposed the things that we would prefer to keep hidden. And Father, we're so thankful for this hope that by your grace, we not only have access, but we can be transformed. We can be 
become pure. We can separate ourselves from the sin of this world, the sin in our own hearts. Father, we praise you for a rescue that is not superficial, that strikes at the root of everything that is wrong, not only with the world, but with ourselves. Father, we pray for the integrity, the willingness to face what is in us, to not only look at what is wrong with the world, but with ourselves. And Father, that we can have the commitment and love to yield ourselves to your transforming grace. Father, we want to see your glory. We want to see you and be transformed by that glory. Father, you are conscious not only of our weakness of spirit, weakness of body. Lord, there are many who are struggling with sickness, who need healing, who are in pain and need comfort and strength those who are straying and need to be reawoken and drawn to you to see to come to themselves even in the swine pit and to recognize there's one place where they can be clean and forgiven father we pray for your grace to work not only here and in the hearing of these words but even beyond locked doors and hearts to draw all men unto you. We pray that we could faithfully lift you up to that end. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So just as a, a recap, a summary of where we have come from um, and the context of these beatitudes, these wonderful teachings of Christ, and the principles, not only for Christian living, but actually descriptions of what a kingdom child looks like. What should a kingdom child look like? What should his image look like? At the end of the chapter in Five, it talks about that ye may be called the children of your heavenly Father. So how we act, our attitudes, how we think, how we reflect the light, because we are lights of the world, as it says in the earlier in the chapter, how we are to impact the world because we are the salt of the earth, and um, how we are to shine before this world to reflect the God who made us and who saved us. Jesus called this multitude after the great temptations he went through uh, by the devil, three major temptations. And at the end of all of that, he immediately went preaching the gospel. It says in chapter 4, verse 24, and his fame went throughout all... Well, let's go before that. And Jesus went about all Galilee teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospels of the king, gospel of the kingdom and healing 
all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people, and his fame went throughout all Syria. That's way up north above where Paul was going to go to persecute the Christians in Damascus. And they brought unto him all the sick people that were taken with diverse diseases and torments and those which were possessed with devils and those which were lunatic and those that had palsy. And he healed them. And there followed him great multitudes of people from Galilee and from Decapolis from Jerusalem and from Judea and beyond Jordan. These were the people that then followed him when they saw the miracles, the power, the preaching, the teaching. He, is, he was a different person. This person that, that had come onto the scene right after John the Baptist, right after uh, the, the 400 years of, of silence from God, there was no prophetic voice. And all of a sudden, this, this, what seems to be this radical preacher is, comes on the scene and speaks with authority and yet speaks with such comfort and hope and encouragement to the people that some had already began to believe. I believe that this, is this the Messiah? Is this the Messiah? I mean, John the Baptist in the front of crowds of people um, while Jesus was coming along the Jordan River, uh, you could see him just pointing and saying, Lo, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He came to prepare a way for him. He came to make the rough places plain, to raise the valleys, to lower the, the hills, and to make a way to be the herald for this Messiah. And now they see him in action. Now they see him not only in action, but in the wisdom that he spoke. And it's all about blessing. They had enough oppression. They had enough cursing. They, that's how the Old Testament ended. It ended with a curse. But now they're hearing this. This is different from what the Pharisees are telling us. They come down with such condemning words. They come, we, how who can attain to this, this austere people? Who can attain to this law that they're saying that we've got to, you know, give one-tenth of every this and that and, and, and would judge us and condemn us? Would mock us, the Pharisee and the publican in the temple? But remember, Jesus came and says, I didn't come to condemn the world. John chapter 3, I didn't come to condemn the world. Now he comes to a place, remember this is, this is, a, this is a, a discourse which just builds one beatitude upon the other. And they feed into each other. And he comes after, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And we could see that mercy had at least two aspects. And that is the mercy of God's forgiveness to us but also the mercy that we need to have, as he had, upon the less fortunate, upon the sick. We saw that in chapter 4. We just read it. Healing them, raising the dead, giving sight to the blind, opening up the ears of the deaf, and they all flocked him, casting out demons. He was merciful. He was compassionate. 
He was gracious. Now we come to this beatitude that says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And this blessing is a, a divine happiness, a divine state of peace and joy and harmony for the soul that is eternal in its nature. So when we see the word pure in heart, what do we think of? You know, we often quote uh, Jeremiah 17, 8. You know, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. It's deceitful above all things. You can't trust it. It'll, it'll trick you. It'll, it will take you off pa onto paths and tangents that you weren't expecting. It'll deceive you. And then it says it's desperately wicked. And if you look at the translations of that, and it's, it's, it's somewhat of an awkward term, but there's another one or two translations that say that, that it, it's, it cannot be healed or it cannot be cured. But Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Is that a contradiction? No, because one is speaking to one thing and another thing is speaking to another thing. Because only God can cure the heart. Only God can heal the heart. Only God can regenerate the heart. You cannot be a Christian that has a desperately wicked heart. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an oxymoron. It's a, it's a contradiction. If you go to the book of Hebrews chapter 12, it says that we are to, to ensure peace and, and, and holiness without which no man shall see God. This is all about seeing God. The, the result of having a pure in heart, being pure in heart, you will see God. But if Hebrews says if you don't have holiness, which is part of being pure in heart, then you will not see God. So something's got to change. Something has to change. You know, many, many seek God for a long time. They seek salvation. What is, what is the reason that they haven't found it? You say, oh, I tried to give this up. I tried to give that up. I couldn't. Is because your heart, whatever takes place in your life, whatever good you do, whatever bad you do, comes from the heart. Jesus says in Matthew 12, 35, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. But an evil man from the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil things. The heart of the problem is a problem of the heart. When the Pharisees were accusing or criticizing the disciples of Jesus, these are your disciples. Look, they're not even washing their hands before they eat. They don't wash their bowls. They don't wash their cups. That is, that is totally unholy. Remember what Jesus said? I'm sure you do. We've covered this many times. Let me read it. 
It's more authoritative when you hear it from the lips of Jesus than if it's than uh, if a mortal man. So I just want to read this, what Jesus said. Why do you disciples transgress the commandments of God by your tradition? Jesus is now coming back to, to them, to the Pharisees. Your disciples are transgressing by not washing their hands. But, but he says, why do ye also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? Throws it right back at them. For God commanded, saying, Honor your father and mother, and he that curses father or mother, let him die the death. But ye say, Whosoever shall say to his father or mother, It is a gift, by whatsoever thou mightest be profited of me. It's just a, something that is um, a bonus for you. Therefore, you make null effect, uh, what does it say? And honor thy father or mother is he shall be free. Thou ha they have made him to, sorry, I can't get this. Made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This man draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. There's a clue there what the meaning of a pure in heart means. The brother prayed about the, the definition of this pure in heart being impure, impurities that enter our heart. And when you look at the meaning of the word pure in heart, and you look at the definition in the, in the dictionaries, it's exactly what it says. It is unadulterated. It's unmixed. It's purities re removed from the heart. Impurities removed from the heart. It didn't occur to me as much as it did as I studied this, that Yes, the heart is sinful because we come from the nature of Adam and Eve. But what makes it sinful is, is that it is, it, is, it is divided. There is a division in our hearts of loyalty. It, the, the, the impurity is the loyalty to something else when we try to combine that with loyalty to God it doesn't mix you cannot be devoted to, to God and then de be devoted to something else you cannot mix allegiance and my mind went back to Exodus 20 what were the commandments what were the first commandments thou shalt have no other gods before me thou shalt not make create any graven images to bow down and worship them why? Because your heart is not single. How many times have we seen that word, what seemed to be an archaic word in the King James Version? Single. If your eye is single. Or in the New Testament, where it says, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Or in, later on in James, when he talks about those that are Christians, 
And he calls them adulterers and adulteresses. Don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? An impure heart is a heart that is divided. You know why you can't give up your sin? Because you love it. You know why you go after sin? Because you're attracted to it. Everybody's attracted to sin. There is a temptation. There is a temptation. James says that when a man is drawn away, he's not drawn away by because God tempts him, but he's drawn away of his own lust. And when lust conceives, it brings forth sin. And when sin is finished, it brings forth death. So this, even the believers can be tempted, and even believers sin. Go into John chapter 1, 1 John. Where he talks about if we, if we follow after Christ, if we follow after the light, if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with him and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Second chapter, children sin not, but if you do sin, you know that you have an advocate, Jesus Christ, the righteous, who is the propitiation not only for our sins, the Christian, but for the sins of the whole world. Now the heart of the believer is regenerated. It's made new. It's recreated. But it can still be tempted. That's why Jesus includes this in the Beatitudes. It's for a kingdom child as well. And he says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So there comes a, a as just like with all the other Beatitudes, there's a process to get there. But once we're there, we've got to keep it. We've got to maintain it with these beautiful attitudes. If we look back in uh, the book of uh, Proverbs, some beautiful verses concerning the heart. I'm sure we've heard this before. Proverbs chapter 4. Keep, verse 23, keep thy heart with all diligence. This is a, remember, this is a father talking to his son. Keep your heart, son or daughter, with all diligence, with all efforts, with all intention. For out of your heart are the issues of life. Coming out of your heart are the issues of life. Your actions, your thoughts, your motivations, your intentions, they come out of the heart. It's no different than uh, Matthew chapter 15, when Jesus said, that which enters into the mouth doesn't defile a man, when he was responding to these Pharisees. But that which comes out of the heart, murders, adulteries, fornications, evil speaking, all these things, they come out of the heart. And so, even in the Old Testament, even, it was, the, it was the only scripture they had until Christ came. He said, keep your heart. The word here is guard your heart. You say, okay, I'm, I'm going to keep it. No, it means guard your heart. 
Guard your heart. Guard what a guard doesn't stop everybody from entering the palace. A guard is there to make sure that enemies and anyone that is going to ill affect the kingdom does not enter into the palace. So the guard will allow friends of the king and those that support the king and the citizens of the kingdom, he'll let them in. But he will keep out anything that was going to be corrupt, cor corruptive or destructive or damaging with ill intentions, he'll keep them out. And that's what he's saying to us. We need to guard our hearts. Why? We've got to guard what comes into our hearts because what comes out of our hearts is what's in our hearts. So don't let those bad things, those impurities, those contaminants come into our hearts. Our hearts for the unconverted that have not been healed, that have not been cured, can be desperately wicked, can be, is desperately wicked. And without the grace of God, it will go all the way. You say, well, how can that be? I, don't, I just see all these good people around. Good people, they got good intentions. But one thing we have to understand, when these people don't know, just like we didn't know before we were converted, when they don't know what sin is, it's not that they didn't know what sin is, it's that they didn't know who God was. And so it's almost pointless to speak to someone that you're a sinner, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, if he doesn't know what sin is. That he was raised that way. That was all the way we always done it. There's nothing wrong with it. It makes sense. It feels good. But until he knows who God is, he won't know who sin, what sin is. We, I think Brother Edmund mentioned about the glory of God in his prayer as well. It brought me to, I'll, I'll, I'll come back to uh, uh, Proverbs in a minute, but let's go to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, it comes after chapter 1 and 2, it talks all about sin, the universality of sin, and how sin it, it existed in the ancient world. When those that saw God's creation even, and they saw his glory and his power and his magnificence. They rejected it. They, were, they pressed it down. The truth that was popping its head up, they were re repressing it and suppressing it, pushing it down. When they knew God, they worshipped him not, not, not as God and neither were they thankful. And then he went through chapter 2 about the moral man. He said, I'm pretty moral, I'm pretty good. He says, no, you're not. You're going to be judged by God's justice, not your justice. He's going to judge you with truth. He's going to judge you with righteousness. And then comes chapter 3, or the Jews said, well, I'm good. I, I obey the law of Moses. I'm part of the, the elect Jewish nation that was promised through Abraham's salvation. 
And he says, your, your circumcision has become uncircumcision by the way you act, by who you are. In chapter 3 then, he continues on and says, What then? He's talking about the Jew versus the, 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 uh, the non-Jew. What, are we better than they? No, in no wise, for we have both before proved that both Jews and Gentiles are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth, no. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone away. They are all together become unprofitable. That is, that doeth None that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulchre. It's a grave that stinks. With their tongues they use deceit. The, the poison of ashes under their lips, whose mouth is full of uh, cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. The way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. This was, this was the moral man too. The one that thought that he was near God. What did God say in the Old Testament through the prophet Isaiah? He said, your sacrifices are obnoxious to my nose. He that kills an ox is like he killed a, uh, an unclean animal like a, dead, like a dog. Why? He said, because your, your lips are close to me, but your heart is far from me. You have a divided heart. You are you are coming, worshipping me religiously, but your heart is not in it. It's somewhere else. You know, the other week, the, the, the discussion on the sower, someone said, one asked the question, what does it mean that the seed fell by the wayside? What does that mean? I believe part of it, maybe most of it, is because of a divided heart. You are here. But you're not listening. You are hearing, but you're not listening. Your mind is somewhere else. And sometimes somebody, somebody says something, you didn't hear it. I'm guilty of that at meetings at, at work. On, this te- on the team's meetings, you can see their faces, their names. And i got work to do, and I'm not listening to the conversation. All of a sudden, uh, Doug, what do you think about this? And so what do I got to do? I pretend. Uh, sorry, can you repeat the question? And people catch me sometimes. Because everybody multiplexes. I don't care who it is, they multiplex. The managers, the program managers, the section managers, they're all multiplexing. Because time. But my heart is divided. I'm listening with a half an ear and I'm, I'm doing something else. And I miss it. I'm not totally devoted to the conversation at hand. How much more is that a problem when we come to church and say, well, I've come, but um, I'm thinking about something else now. My mind drifts, and then I miss it. And after the sermon, we can ask many, it happens to us all, what did the preacher preach about? Uh, I think it was Matthew 5. What did he say? Well, something about blessed. 
Is our heart divided? He, he, he goes on to say, Now we know that the things, so whatever things the Lord saith, it saith to them that are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for the knowledge of the law is sin. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith in Jesus Christ. And upon all them that believe, for there is no difference, for all, here, this is the verse, for all have sinned and come short of what? The glory of God. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now, how do you know what sin is if you don't know what the glory of God is? How do you know what the glory of God is if you don't know who God is? So we don't just learn to become academically filled, but we learn to discover who God is. What happened in the book of Acts? Acts chapter 2. When the Jews were coming around um, on the day of Pentecost and they were looking at this phenomenon of these, the tongues and the, the apostles speaking in, in all kinds of 15 different languages and the people that were with them, what did they say? They thought they were drunk with wine. Who are these people that are maybe drunk with wine? And, G and uh, Peter, the, the apostle, stands up and gave probably the most powerful sermon after the Sermon on the Mount. says, Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves know. He didn't go say, You are sinners. You are hypocrites. You don't keep the word of God. He went back and he recounted to them what happened in Jerusalem 40 days ago, 50 days ago. Think back what happened. Put it together. Make it, it makes more sense now. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by the wicked hands have crucified and slain. This is the Christ that you are yelling out, crucify him, crucify him. Whom God hath raised up, being loosed, of the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. For David speaketh concerning him. Now he's referring him back to their law, back to their Psalms, what they knew, and said, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he's on my right hand, and I sh that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, also my flesh shall rest in hope. Because thou shalt not leave my soul in hell, neither shalt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. And he went all the way through David and to the, the to crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then when they had heard all of this, they said, Men, brethren, what shall we do? When he reminded them of who God was, of what he spoke in his word, who this Jesus Christ is, the Messiah, they said, men, brethren, what shall we do? 
Peter said unto them, now he said, repent. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. This is the beginning of having a heart restored. One that was divided, one that had divided allegiances, loyalties. You drop everything. And say, this is the most important thing in my life. Now I'm going to go back to 23 of Proverbs. This is an example, for example, the, um, an application of that, a divided heart. Proverbs 23 Verse 6, eat thou not the bread of him that hath an evil eye. Here, here we have that word again, evil eye. We see it with Jesus. You think that this, isn't, this is not really new, that Jesus was actually quoting many times or referring to the Old Testament, things that they knew. Eat thou not the bread of him that hath an evil eye, neither desire thou his dainty meats. For as he thinketh in his heart... So is he. I pointed here, but he's thinking, but in the core of his being, he's thinking, eat and drink, saith he to thee, but his heart is not with thee. You know what that's saying? It's saying there's some people that call you over for supper, and, but they have a different intention. They have evil intention. They have an evil eye. They call you over for supper, not for your benefit, but for their benefit. Because they want to somehow flatter you, uh, groom you, or whatever it is, to do so that you can benefit them. He, He says, you don't look what they do, because what they're really thinking in this heart, in their hearts, That's what they really are. But he said, his heart is not with thee. He's he's got a divided heart. You think his heart's for you? No, but his heart is for something else. Is that us? Look look what the end result is. The morsel which thou hast eaten, thou shalt vomit up. When you find out, when you've been deceived, when you've been tricked, when you've been defrauded, when you've been mocked, when you've been evil spoken of, you realize, hey, he wasn't for me. He was against me. That's an impure heart. Remember, remember uh, the first verse that came to my mind when I, when I thought about this verse. Remember in the beginning of Jesus' ministry, Nathaniel comes walking up to Jesus. What did Jesus say? Remember? Behold, an Israelite in whom there is no guile, no deceit. His heart is not divided. Can we say that of ourselves? Can we say that our 
this is where the word single comes in again. Is our eye single? Or is it evil? Is our heart united or is it divided? The song came, I always try to relate a song this morning in the office. We talked about songs. There was a song that I learned a long time ago that Millie had a cassette or a cassette was sent to us from, the, from her sisters. But it's a scripture song. I love the scripture songs. In Psalm 86, David says, For thou art great and doeth wondrous things. Thou art God alone. Unite my heart. O Lord, I will walk in thy truth. And I will glorify your name. I can't remember the other little verse in between. But even David had this concept that his heart was at times not united. It wasn't one. It wasn't single. It wasn't focused. Until he had a rude awakening when he committed that terrible sin, not only of adultery, but of lying and murder. How can that happen? Was his heart united or was it divided? Was his heart, he was a man after God's own heart, remember that. But he didn't guard his heart. And there are many ways we can guard our hearts. Many ways we can guard our hearts. When we talk to counsel with uh, converts, we ask, so what are some ways? You can avoid avoid sinning. No one can avoid temptation. Temptation's there, just like the birds. They're always there. As Brother Willie said, you, can, you can't stop the birds from flying over the roof, but you could always stop them from building a nest on your roof. But what are the things that you can do to avoid sin? Read the Word. Be in prayer. Hide the word of God in your heart. Psalm 119 says that you may not sin against him. Listen to the Holy Spirit. He convicts the world of sin. And be involved with your church, the body of Christ. To whom we are accountable, one to another. We are members, one of another. God places us in a church, in a body, to be accountable one to another. Because you may, you may want to join another church where they don't care about things like that. Where it's okay to have safe sex marriages and to do this and to do that and do this. And you feel good because you don't feel condemned because everyone else is doing it. But when you're in a body of believers that believe the truth, that things that we have professed and confessed... And when somebody seems to be, as the Bible says, their, their, their weak feet begin to go off the path. Then you have someone to be accountable to. A brother who is your keeper or a sister who is your keeper. 
You can see how our hearts, if they're not totally focused, totally single, with pure motives and pure intentions, can lead us to sin. And we need to guard that heart. If it's going to remain pure, we need to guard. And he's given us all the resources, all the, all the ways in which we can remain with a pure heart. What does it mean to see God? He promised. He said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. We heard not long ago about Moses. He couldn't see God and live. And he wanted to see God because he had this big daunting task ahead of him to move whatever it was, two million people out of Egypt into the promised land. Which became such a, such a burden that he just wanted to die. He, he had enough. He said, God, show me your glory. I need to see you. We know this story, the account. God hit him in the cleft of the rock and he passed by. He said, you can see me from behind, but no man can see my face and live. What is the, your greatest desire my dear brother and sister, what is your greatest desire? To see God. What does that mean? It means to be in his presence. It means to be in his presence where there's no more sin. No more tears. No more pain. No more suffering. No more burdens. Do you want to see God? I do. We used to sing this as a choir song. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not because they knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. Is your heart still divided? Is your loyalty split? We can't serve God and we can't serve mammon at the same time. We can't love the world and we can't love God at the same time. John 2 says, 1 John 2 says, He that loves 
the world. The love of the Father is not in him. Poor Job. Job in the book, he suffered so much. His uh, friends, in quotes, maybe they were genuine friends. They wanted to come to help him in his abject condition. But Job, at one stage, he was given the best review by God. There is no man like Job on this earth. He hates evil, cleaves to the good. What else could you want? But even Job in his, in his uh, temptation and his trial was tempted to think that God didn't know what he was doing. And he said, you've been cruel to me. You feel like that sometimes. You feel that God has been cruel to you. This is what Job says at the end of his life, at the end of the chapter, should I say, at the beginning of a new life. It says in verse 10 of chapter 42, And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. He actually prayed for the ones that were telling, giving him all the wrong advice, all the wrong commentary. He finally, he even prayed, this is another beautiful attitude of the Beatitudes, pray for them that despitefully use you, those that persecute you. And also the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. But before that happened, in the very beginning, Job then responded to the Lord because the Lord had given him a good fatherly lecture, if you will. Where were you? You who know so much? Where were you when I created the worlds? When the sons of God sang for joy, where were you? How do you know all these things? And if you don't know those things, why do you question me on these other things? Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do anything, everything, and that no thought can be withholden from thee. Even the things that I think, you know what I'm thinking. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered that I understood not the things too wonderful for me, which I knew not. Here I beseech thee, and I will speak, I will demand of thee and declare thou unto me. I have heard thee by the hearing of my ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. He said, I can see you now, God. I've heard about you. But having gone through this furnace of fire, I can now see you. Yes, there's some truth, I believe. When Jesus said that the pure in heart, they're blessed because they shall see God. It may not just be 
in the courts of glory. But they see him in everything they do. They see him more clearly in creation. Though the unbelievers can see that too, they reject it. But those that see God in creation, and sometimes tears come to their eyes as how beautiful God is. I know them. They worship his creation. They worship him in the absence of the church. It's not just on Sundays. This is another point that I'd really like to stress. For myself first, are we different people? You've heard this a hundred times before, a thousand times before perhaps. Are we different people at work, at home, than we are at church? If we are, that shows that maybe our hearts are somewhat divided. Maybe we live our lives in this compartment during the, work, during the week and this compartment on Sundays. And we feel good when we go home, we spend time at church at God's feet for learning. But how am I when I'm not in the presence of the eyes of men? As Paul says, doing service as I service, pleasing men. Our heart is divided. God wants all of our heart. And only then, you know, the word guile, this is, this is another one I want to, it just came to me, sorry, kind of over time. The word guile, I looked it up in the Greek. I know Alex is listening back there. It says, a man in whom there is no guile, was Nathaniel. The word is dolos. When you look at the opposite of that, it's the word idolos. And it's the same word as impure. When you are impure, you're deceitful. One of the things of be, one of the factors that is so important in achieving and getting a pure heart from God is that we need to be honest. It has to be an honest heart before it can become a pure heart. It has to be a confessing heart before it become a pure heart. And that's a true for a unconverted and converted alike. Do we confess our sins and repent and he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. May the Lord bless the word to him be the glory evermore. How can we be pure in an impure world? How can we stay pure? I remember being in, uh, I've heard this is true in the Amazon, but when we were in, in Banff, you have these pure glacier-fed streams coming down the mountains, see-through, crystal clear, 
and they meet these muddy waters that have picked up a lot of silt along the way. And initially, you, know, you see a clear, stark contrast, the clear water, the muddy water, flowing parallel, this sharp division in between them. It looks like it's working. That purity is being maintained, but it doesn't last. You go sufficiently down the river where the momentum is lost and the particles start to spread, and it's, it doesn't, it's never that it's all pure now. It's always obscured and muddy in the end. We see that impurity spreads, and yet here we are in this impure world, and we want to see God. Consider the alternative. If you don't see God, if you don't see God in eternity, that means you're not where God is, and there's one alternative. If you don't see God here, you'll never get there. I was at a funeral this week. It was a bit sad. Or they, it was not in our church, and the, the, the one leading it was kind of saying, well, now that you know somebody who's passed on the other side, you know, if, when you get there, he can introduce you to Jesus. And that is so against the word of God. If you do not know and see God here, it's too late. Nobody that you know on the other side is going to be able to introduce you to Jesus then. But how do you stay pure? How do you not lose your vision when you're surrounded by media, by mentality, by all these people that, are, that despise you if you so much as say, I want to be pure? There's one pure source. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? Where can, where can we find that purity? Psalm 119 tells us by, by the word of God, by taking heed according to God's words, by being careful, by, by renewing, by cleansing, because you're not going to stay clean. That's why we need to wash each other's feet even and, and have the, the humility and integrity to, to confess our faults and help each other because staying pure is not going to happen on its own. We need the Word of God, and we need to come under its influence, and we need to help each other, and we need to be intentional about it. And I've been convicted this morning about things in my life where I'm allowing too much of the sands of, and impurity of this world to, to come across my consciousness, and I need to maintain that boundary. And I need to to be here and I need to help you and you need to help me to do that. May each of us strive to be pure in heart, unadulterated, that we may all see God. With that, we conclude this morning's service.